Acts chapter 20, verses 32 to 38. And the person speaking is the Apostle Paul. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. We're in Acts uh, chapter 20, and we're looking uh, at this sermon of uh, Paul. Uh, Genesis, we're coming back to next week. Uh, If you were with us for that, we've been three weeks away. We're coming back to Genesis next week. But for this evening, we're... Uh, in uh, Miletus, uh, which is a, a port uh, where Paul was speaking to a bunch of church leaders. So down at the port side, the ships are about to go. Uh, so I don't know what you call this, the, the sermon on the sand, uh, the, the preach on the beach. That's, a, that's it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word of grace. Thank you that it can build us up and give us an inheritance. And we pray now as we hear you speak to us that if we're new to these things, you'd make things clear for us. If we're used to them, that you would spur us on once again, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. A question to start us off. With what words were you sent out into the world? I don't know if you ever had a moment when you were sort of sent out into the world. Some of us have just started as students, and maybe you've had that moment quite recently. Someone sat you down and they said, well, what did they say? What did they say as they sent you out into the world? Uh, Don't burn the candle at both ends. That's a common one, isn't it? Don't burn the candle at both ends, they say. Or they say, work hard, play hard. Maybe they said that to you. I had a friend who lived pretty much by the motto, if in doubt, make a pasta bake. It's pretty much <laughs> that got him through. It got him got him a long way through the student uh, the student world. If in doubt, just make a pasta bake. It's gone a long way uh, through life with that, as far as I can see. My generation was sent out uh, with the words of Baz Luhrmann ringing in our ears. I don't know if you remember this song, The Class of '99. Do you remember these words, ladies and gentlemen of the Class of '99? Wear sunscreen. If I, if I could offer you American accent, if I could offer you one. Uh, tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Never mind, you won't understand the power and beauty of your youth until they've faded. Don't worry about the future. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Do you remember that? Baz Luhrmann, class of 99. I wonder if those were the words with, you, with which you were sent out into the world. And Luhrmann's words might get you a certain distance through this life. 
But of course, they say nothing beyond that. Or Steve Jobs' Stanford commencement speech, 11 million hits on YouTube, a massive speech gets you a certain distance again in this life. But as he, as he said poignantly within that, that some advice just leaves you as the richest guy in the cemetery. Some advice, you see, can get you a long way through life, but it says nothing beyond that. Is there a truth, then, that can take us through this world and into the world to come? Uh, Through this world with all of its complex decisions and trials. Or come at it another way. With what words would you send a church out into the world? With what words would you send a church out into the world? Imagine that you had a few minutes up the front here and you could say something to Christchurch Mayfair. It was maybe the last time that you'd ever see them again. What would you say? At a couple of minutes. What would you say uh, in that time? With what vision should a church face the world? Uh, here's our, our vision um, as a church. It's got five parts. We seek to teach the Bible so that people love Jesus and then work to build community, share the gospel, and love our neighbors. Well, what, do, what do you make of that? Is that, a, is that a good vision for a church to have? Do we need to tweak it? Do we need to change it in line with what we're seeing this evening? What do you make of that? With what words would you send a church out into the world? Well, the Apostle Paul was doing that. There he was with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And he was sending them out into the world. He knew it was a dangerous world that they'd live in, with full of complex trials and decisions. And last week we heard about the wolves, the false teachers who were all around the place. And he longed, of course, to see them in the world to come. But the boat was uh, departing, he's wrapping things up, and he says two things really to the church in these last few sentences of probably what was a typical sermon that Luke records. The first is this, look to God and his word to get you home. Look to God and his word to get you home. Let's read verse 32, page 1117. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's uh, quite a bit in there. I, I commit, I, I hand you over. Now, who is he handing them over to? Next uh, phrase. I commit you, I hand you over to God and to the word of his grace. So first to God, I'm putting you in his hands. I, I'm off, I can't look after you but I'm putting you in his hands. Second, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Now that second thing really says uh, more about the first. I'm putting you in God's hands, he says, but we might well ask the question, okay, you're putting us in God's hands, but how will God keep me going? Of course, biblically, God keeps us going by his spirit. He puts into the lives of Christians his Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, living in us. God keeps us going by his spirit. But when you think about that, of course, that's, that's kind of like saying God keeps us going by God, God by his spirit, God by God. And so maybe you'd ask another question. Well, look, how will God, by God, by his spirit, keep us going? And the answer's in this verse. It's by his word, that is, the scriptures. 
Now, you can't separate these things out too much, of course. The person of God and his, and his breath go together, just like my word and my breath. They're, they're connected. Uh, the spirit of God and the word of God always go together. can't separate them out and say, well, I'm a, I'm a sort of Bible sort of person and you can be a spirit sort of person. No, the Bible puts them always together. The word of God is the word of the spirit. But if you want to ask, well, how does the spirit work instrumentally? What's the means by which he works in the world? Well, Paul says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. You see, Paul hasn't built a church on himself. It's a temptation, presumably, for him and any leader to do that. But it's a disaster, of course, when the leader moves on. And Paul's pointing away from himself. He's saying, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Of course, as we saw last week, that doesn't mean that church elders don't matter. This passage doesn't trump last week's. They go together. It's the elders who will protect, shepherd the flock, uh, keep teaching the word. That's how that all hangs together. But Paul is saying, look, the scriptures, God by his word can get you home. I just pause and think. Would you have started there? Is that what you would have said if you had those two minutes up the front to this church? Would you have started there? I wonder if uh, too often we, we do think of the Bible as, well, what our culture often thinks of the Bible and tells us that it is. Just a dry, dusty book written centuries ago that's irrelevant to our lives today. Or we might say, well... I, yeah, I know, it's the words about Jesus. Yeah, it's the words about Jesus, but it's not really the words of Jesus to me. And we say, well, I want something living. I don't just want information. I want a, I want a person. And again, biblically, that's exactly what the Bible is. It's God's personal word to us. It's God speaking to us by his spirit today into our lives relevantly to keep us going and to get us home. Let me try and explain. Imagine a young soldier. A young soldier who, who falls behind enemy lines. And he wants to get home. Imagine this young soldier isn't just any young soldier. He's the son of the, the general. And somehow they make contact with him. There he is behind enemy lines all alone. And they make radio contact with him. And for the first little while, the platoon commander is speaking to him over the radio, saying, look, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. But then at a moment, he says, look, someone's just come into the room who wants to speak to you. I'm going to hand you over to him now. I'm going to hand you over to your father. So on the radio, between the two is this soldier, fallen soldier, and the general, the father, speaking. And he speaks down the radio. And he knows the terrain because he's been there. And he knows the son as well because he loves him. And sometimes the general father speaks words of encouragement. Keep going. Keep going. And sometimes the words sound slightly firmer when you hear them. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Stop going that way. Stop. Don't go that way. And sometimes the general uses instructions. Left a bit. Right a bit. And sometimes he doesn't even speak. He just sings a song, a snatch of a lullaby that he once sung over the cradle of his young son. He mixes it up. He uses all of them. But he speaks to him to get him home. 
different types of speech, different tones, but all the voice of the Father and all aimed at getting the Son home. That's what God's Word is. That's what God's Word is to us. It's the voice of our Heavenly Father to us to get us home. And you find, don't you, in in here as you read through the Bible, different types of speech. Sometimes the tone is, just keep going. Sometimes the tone is, stop. Don't go in that direction, it's dangerous. There are different types of letters, literature in here. Sometimes it's words of instruction. Other times it's kind of, it's a song, it's a psalm, it's a, it's a song of praise that God sings over us or tells us to sing or sings to us. That's God's word. That's God's word to us. All scripture, we're told, is God-breathed to make us wise for salvation. That means wise to get us home. God's word can get you home. And so Paul says, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. Do you notice then what the content of the word is in verse 32? Do you notice that? Just spot it. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. If you're new to Christian things, that's the heart of the Christian message, grace. Not earning our way to heaven because none of us could, but God's free gift of grace. Jesus paid for our sin, took the judgment of God in our place for free instead of us. And Christians who know God's grace know that they need a reminder of this all the time. Don't you? Don't you find you need a reminder of God's grace all of the time? Personally speaking, I I must, the thing that would stop me keeping going in the Christian life very often is I'm aware of my own sin and failure. And if it wasn't by grace, I would would think, well, there's no hope for me. I'm going to stop. But actually, all of us need a word, the word of God's grace, a constant reminder of God's grace that there's forgiveness. Keep going. Or maybe it's a word that we need to hear this evening if we've been away for a while. That there's always a fresh start in the Christian life. Come back. That's God's word of grace to us as we travel on the journey. Now, what does this word of grace do, verse 32? I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. What can it do? Well, verse 32, it can build you up. It can give you an inheritance. It can build you up as a church, and it can give you an inheritance. What's all that about? Well, ultimately, that's a picture of heaven. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, won for us an inheritance. It's called heaven. It's home. It's where we're going to live forever. It's our eternal inheritance. Back in the Old Testament, when they got into the land, they got into the land, and one of the first things that God said was, look, I'm going to give you an inheritance. And he just started dishing out this wonderful land to people. He said, you guys, you have the north. Lovely bit up up there. You head there. Some of you head over to the west. Some of you down, and he split it up. They all had an inheritance. This is the Bible's idea. And heaven, I guess, will be like that. How will God divide out the new creation, the blessings of being with him? I guess there'll be some sense of, look, here's uh, you, I don't know, you have the new North America. You have that, fantastic. You, you've got South Wales, off you go, and, and that's yours. It'd be an inheritance. And God is saying, it'd be fantastic. Some of you would love to, some of you would love South Wales, North America. It'll be, it'll be divided out. God says, eternity, eternity is my gift to you. Share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Here's a description of a, a man imagining the moment that he gets to heaven. A man called Richard Baxter. 
who I quoted uh, last week, but a man who'd been through terrible suffering in this world. And he looked forward to that. Let me just uh, read uh, to you. Thy body will be, sorry, slightly ancient language, thy body will no more be a burden to thee. Thy pains and sicknesses are all now cured. Thou shalt be troubled with weakness and weariness no more. Thy head is not now an aching head, nor thy heart now an aching heart. Your hunger and thirst and cold and sleep, your labor and study are all gone. Oh, what a mighty change is this from the dunghill to the throne, from a body as vile as the carrion in the ditch to a body as bright as the sun in the firmament, from complainings under the pleasure of, displeasure of God to the perfect enjoyment of him in love, from all my doubts and fears of my condition to this possession which had put me out of doubt, from all fearful thoughts of death to this most blessed, joyful life. He goes on imagining. Oh, what a blessed change is this. Farewell, sin and suffering forever. Farewell, my hard and rocky heart. Farewell, my proud and unbelieving heart. And now welcome, most holy, heavenly nature. I shall now have my harvest without plowing or sowing, my wine without the labor of the vintage, my joy without a preacher or a promise, even all from the face of God himself. Last bit. My face will not wrinkle, nor my hair be gray, but this mortal shall have put on immortality. O death, where is now thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The date of my lease will no more expire, nor shall I trouble myself with thoughts of death, nor lose my joys through fear of losing them. When millions of ages are past, my glory is but beginning, and when millions more are past, it is no nearer ending. Every day is all noontide, and every month is May or harvest. Doesn't it make you long? for that inheritance that God has promised in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, this can get you there. This can get you there. God's word can get you home. Keep listening. So let me just say something to us as a, as a church and then to individuals. As a church, Paul would say to us, God says to us, look, put yourselves, put yourselves in the hands of God and the scriptures. He'd say to us, your small group is not just about gathering some information or mastering the book of John this year. It's about your heavenly father speaking into your life and saying, look at Jesus and keep going. Look at Jesus and keep going. Hear my word of grace to you again, even though you know that you fail. Look at Jesus and keep going. That's why we need to be in small groups, in a place where we're under God's word together. Paul says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. But maybe a word to us as individuals, it may be that some of us, I don't know, do you get to this point? You get to this point maybe in your life when you think, I've been a Christian for a while. And so now the momentum that I've sort of built up in my Christian life so far will just keep me going and get me over the finish line. And so we think I can just sit back a little bit to God's word. Now Paul says to these well-trained, well-schooled Ephesian elders, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Keep listening to God's word which can get you home. And so perhaps we need to repent of the attitude which is that the Bible kind of doesn't really matter. It, sitting under the Bible, it's, it's kind of irrelevant. Paul is saying the safest place that you can be in this world is in the hands of God and his word of grace to keep you going. That is the safest place. 
And so maybe we need to repent of that attitude. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, repent and believe. Repent of that attitude which says, there are other things that will keep me safe in life other than God and his word. I don't know what that would be for you. Sometimes we think that what will keep me safe in life and get me through is that people like me. Or what will keep me safe in life and get me through is that I have enough money or I have a secure family. But you see, Paul doesn't say, now I commit you to the markets. <laughs> doesn't say, now I commit you to your reputation. He'll never see them again. And he says, the safest place for you is I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can get you home. I'm putting you in the hands of the scripture. That is the safest place for you. Those other things, they're an illusion of safety. Yeah, good in themselves, maybe. But you're most safe when in your heart you're putting yourself under God and his word of grace to keep you going. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a a friend uh, on a Saturday evening. We're just chatting away and got three kids and the kids had just um, gone to bed and he was sort of sitting up late and I asked what, what, what was he doing you know lots of things could be doing TV TV on and all of that he just said I just I just knew that I just needed to stop and sit with God's word in front of me and hear God speak to me again it's been a little while but this is what I want to do and this is where I want to lead our family the three kids upstairs and my wife this is what I want to do and as I heard him say that, I thought, I want to be more like you. And I, and I thought as well, what a wise man. There's a man who's heard this, that this is the safest place for him. It's the safest place for him as he cares for others. The safest place for any of us as we keep going and care for others. He's under the word of grace. And so maybe for you, I don't know, maybe it's time to get going again. Maybe this has just slipped off the radar. Christian life's full of fresh starts. But will you resolve again that in your life, this is what you need to keep going? God's word of grace to you. Will you resolve that this evening if you're wobbling a bit? And if you'll resolve that, will you join me as we keep going in this? And maybe, as many of us find, just some practical help in this will keep you going and get you going again. And I've just put on the bookstore there just a few Bible notes. If you've ever used Bible notes, they're very helpful just to get you going at the start of this academic year again, if that's slipped. Why not visit the bookstall on the way out? Just one step that you could take in that direction, when in your heart you've resolved, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So there's the first thing that Paul says, look to God's word to get you home. And here's the second to this church as he sends them out into the world. And it's this, work hard and give for the sake of the week. Work hard and give for the sake of the week. Verse 33. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you see, he contrasts two ways of living. He says there's one way, which is getting and the other way, which is giving. Verse 33, I didn't come to get from you. I didn't come to get personal status. I didn't come to get goods. I didn't covet your clothing. It's kind of a reference to 1 Samuel uh, 12, where Samuel the prophet stands up and he says, now do you remember you you said that you wanted a king? Do you remember I said that if you asked for a king, the king would basically get from you? That's what the king will do. He'll take stuff from you. That's what you've chosen. 
But then he says at the end of his ministry, 1 Samuel 12, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? And their answer is no one. Samuel says, look, do you see the contrast between one who will take from you and one who gave to you? And Paul's saying the same thing in his day. Remember those false teachers that we heard about last week, those wolves who say, come follow me. Why do they do that? Because they want to get, they want to get a following after them. Paul says, do you see the contrast, Paul says, between that and this? I didn't come to do that, verse 34. I, I didn't come to get, I came to give. Verse 34, I, I didn't, you see, I didn't sponge off you and, 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 and leave you short. I worked hard. I worked hard. So Paul did that in his own way as a tent maker. Um, he supplied, you see, he supplied not just for himself, but for his companions. He didn't just work to support himself. He actually worked so that he could help others, so that he could give and support them. Why? Well, his example, verse 35, is this. That I might help the weak. And so he gives them an example, leaves them an example, that they might do the same. Now, the weak here includes uh, the sick, it's the word that's, uh, that's used uh, in Acts, but it would have been those who were most vulnerable in the community at the time. Uh, so he's saying, in effect, look, we're traveling through a dangerous world, and I want you to do two things as I speak into you, just have a few minutes before the boat goes. First is look up. Look up to God and his word, first point that we've heard. But the second is look around. Look up to God, keep listening to his word of grace, and now look around at the others on the journey. Help those who are weak and supply their needs with hard work, verse 35, helping the weak. I don't know if you remember the, um, the final film of uh, The Lord of the Rings, personally. It's been, it's been too long since we've mentioned it from the front. It's been at least a couple of weeks. So... Um, Lord of the Rings, you remember it's probably a scene we remember. That last film, as Frodo gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and you think, is, is he going to make it? But who is there at his side? Of course, it's Samwise. Samwise is there. And if you go and see people's favorite quotes of Lord of the Rings and favorite Sam quotes, the number one hit, the number one hit is this one. He says, I can't carry it for you, speaking of the ring. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And so he does. He carries him. This weak guy who's falling apart, isn't going to make it, he carries him home. And Paul is saying, look, we we are traveling through a dangerous world on a dangerous journey. Look up, listen to your commander, and look around. And verse 35, work hard and give for the sake of the weak. And it is often hard work, often hard work to help those who are struggling. But can I ask you, who can you help this week? Who can you help this week? Maybe, maybe you know who you could help already. But if not, look around. Look around your small group. Who could you help this week? Is there someone sick that you could visit? Uh, can you go without something this week to help someone who's financially struggling? Could you, could you go without something this week, small or large, to help in that way? Is there someone who's unclear on the Christian faith, racked with doubts? 
that you could meet up with? Is there someone running away that you could go after? Be examples of different sorts of vulnerable people, so to speak, uh, within our church family. Who could you help this week? Could you think of them? Well, what's the next step? What's the next step? Finding them afterwards? Dropping an email? Uh, putting it into the diary to pray for them? What's the next step? One person, one thing this week. It'd be wonderful in our church family if we all thought uh, that way. I got a, te- I'm a simple thing. I got a text from a mate on Friday, uh, Friday morning. It just said this. Uh, I want you to know this morning I prayed Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 for you. Have a good day. Made such a difference. Made such a difference at the start of the day. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. I wouldn't have thought that was the hardest work in, in the world. But it made a difference. And Paul says, you know that these hands of mine worked hard to help the weak. Work hard and give for the sake of the weak. Let me give you an, another example. I spoke to a friend this week who's a young a youth worker in Kenya. And uh, he'd been in touch because the, the church that he works in is going through a, a hard time. Um, the, the church leadership have all had to leave because the community is just against the church. And they all had to leave. And he's left alone. And he's the youth worker and he's kind of running the church now. And, and I was looking at Acts 20 and thinking, what do I pray for this guy? And verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can get you home. But as I was speaking to him, I said, Andrew, are you scared? Are you scared? And he said, yeah, I'm scared. I said, why are you scared? He said, well, I'm scared because I just feel isolated, just alone. And then he said this as well. He said, and I'm scared because there are many widows and orphans in the village that I have to look after and I'm scared I won't be able to do that and I thought you're living Acts 20 you're living Acts 20 hearing the voice of your commander and then looking around you working hard to help the weak now where did Paul get this and what do we do when our eyes just dip well verse 35 What do we need to remember? Well, the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, Paul got his example, as ever, from the example of Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we don't know where Jesus said this, not quoted in the scriptures, but presumably by an oral tradition. This was passed down as something that Jesus taught and taught. And, of course, it's clear that he must have been teaching that because that was what his life was all about. And he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think that means that that's more in line with what God loves than getting, than receiving. It's more in line. God loves it. Jesus' moment of glory is, of course, when he, as we heard, Philippians 2, when he gave himself on the cross. It was his moment of glory. It was the moment most blessed by God, the bit that God most loved and said, I love it. I love the cross because my son gave himself. And our moments of glory... Our moments of glory, according to this, are the moments not when we receive, but the moments when we give. That's what Paul was saying. Jesus Christ gave all he had. It's what we'll remember in the Lord's Supper. Gave all he had for people like you and me. So do it remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. Now just at this point, some... How do we respond to what we've heard so far? Some may say, well, look... We've heard two things, Bible and hard work for the weak. I mean, is it both or is it, uh, is it either or? It's both. It's not I want to be a Bible person and I want to be one who helps the weak. It's 
both. He's teaching the church to do both of these things. Others of us may think, well, this doesn't sound very flashy. It's not particularly glamorous. I mean, teach the Bible and work hard. I mean, really, Paul? Your strategy for the Ephesian church, your strategy for a church is these two things? Stick close to God's word and work hard. It's not particularly flashy or life-changing. Isn't there something that can get quicker results? Well, of course, it depends what results we want. What results do we want? I mean, if we want a full church building, I mean, there are quicker ways of doing that. Stand on the door and hand out five-pound notes if you come in. I mean, you could, you could do that. It'd be a strategy, wouldn't it? If those were the results that we want. Now, of course, we want growth. Of course, we want that. But what Paul most wants is changed lives. And if we want changed lives, this is God's way. Do you see finally what this ministry of these two things produced? The result of this is verse 36 and 38. It's deep relationship. It's changed lives. Verse 36. When it said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. You see, scriptures and hard work for the weak forge these lives together for the glory of God. It's easy to think that we need a new strategy, a new vision. But when Paul did this, this is what happened. Lives were changed, were transformed. And can I say that my observation is that these two things have been bearing fruit amongst us. As well, I've just been here for a couple of years. Some of you have been doing these two things here in the church family for years. You've just kept going with the scriptures and working hard for the sake of the weak. And it's been bearing fruit in the church family amongst us. So keep going. Keep going in these two things. Working hard. Caring for the weak. Listening to the scriptures. I I can think, as I'm sure many of you can, of people who've had to leave, move on for, for whatever reasons. And actually the departure has been something like this, verse 36 to 38. I mean, they haven't got on a, on a ship, but there have been tears. There have been tears if, as they've left. I can think of someone recently who, who was here for a while and, and came and life was, a bit of a, life was a bit of a mess. Life was a bit of a mess. And uh, just a few weeks ago, time to, time to leave. And actually I was just watching as... Conversations happened between someone he wanted to particularly thank as he moved on. And there were tears. And there were tears as I watched that. Because here was someone saying, your life's been changed. Life's been changed because this church family has been doing these two things. The word of God's grace and hard work for the sake of the weak in all sorts of situations. So let's keep doing this ministry it's the ministry that changes lives. So then, with what words do you face the world? With what words should a church like this go out into the world? Uh, eat more greens. <laughs> if in doubt, make a pasta bake. <laughs> with what words are we to live as a church family? Well, Paul says, God says, look to God and his word of grace. I commit you to the scriptures. That's the safest place. Resolve to keep hearing from God. And then secondly, work hard for the sake of the weak. 
So let's keep going in this ministry. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the one who showed us most clearly of all that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, again, we want to put ourselves in uh, your hands. Uh, We want to uh, put ourselves again under the voice of your Spirit in the Scriptures. Uh, Some of us have maybe just moved a notch away from that. And we want to repent and say again that we know, we know deep down that the safest place for us is with you speaking grace into our lives. And we pray, please would you keep us there. And then as we look to you again, we pray, please would you uh, keep on making us a church who look around and who keep working hard and who keep spurring one another on all of the way to heaven. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you.